Welcome to the Mar Experience Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Shebb. In this episode, I speak with Allison Makeley, the disordered eating therapist at the Women's Recovery Center here at Mar. We talk about the links between disordered eating and substance abuse and how they address those issues here at Mar. One of the things I want to talk about that's really important is how that relationship between the disordered eating and the substance use, many women find that the relapse factor that is the most frightening is the disordered eating behavior. So in the first step, what comes out is stories like this. I knew I had to be in a bathing suit and because I was so uncomfortable in the body I was in, I got drunk before I ever went out. I wanted to be loved by someone I'm in relationship with, but because I hated the body that I was in, I had to be drunk before my loved one could hug me, touch me, be affectionate towards me. Um, I hear stories about I hated the body I was in so much that I just had to drink or use just to turn off that critical voice that just tells me over and over and over, you're awful, you're ugly, you're terrible. And another one with, with women is, you know, some of the drugs of abuse that women use, they will tell you they started using for the purpose of weight loss. And, and, and you'd be not surprised, cocaine and meth, you know, a lot of women that have a history of using stimulants, uh, also let's include Adderall. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, those are some of the most popular that I hear. Uh, they will say, I figured out that when I took it, I didn't eat. And so when in treatment or when in life, they maybe gain a pound or five or 10 or 20 or whatever it may be. There is an old thought process in their brain that says, and I know how to lose this weight. Mm -hmm. So to your point about the first step, our examples include not just what were the worst of the worst things that happened around uh, my eating, my undereating, my trying to control my body, but also what was the relationship between my substance use and my disordered eating or negative body image. Because those are the examples that make women have the aha when they realize how interconnected they were and how important it is that they start working on accepting this body because accepting the body may make the difference between whether or not they stay clean and sober. Some women, when they come in and they have some history of disordered eating, they'll tell you, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's absolutely, you know, I would drink instead of eat. You know, this, <laughs> how am I going to expend my calories for the day? Yeah, is it right. going to be on vodka tonics or is it going to be <laughs> on food? Right. Sometimes they purposefully choose. It's going to be a vodka tonic. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are other women who don't realize the story I told you about the bathing suit. Mm-hmm. There are other women who don't realize that the alcohol was their way to medicate their pain around their non-acceptance of their bodies. Mm -hmm. And so for some of those women, they're shocked. There are some women that get put in this disordered eating group that have no desire to be there. And they say, that's not me. That is not my problem. I do not have an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And then 
in most cases, they find as they go, they listen to other women, Mm -hmm. identify with their stories, go through the first step process, they start to see those connections and how really there was something there all along and they didn't even know it. Or, or more sadly, they didn't know there was an alternative. Mm. So many of them have gone through life hating their bodies, not knowing that there was another way to be. Do you see that in the course of treatment or does that take, take longer usually? Both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there are miracle stories and sometimes quickly, sometimes yeah. right, slowly. Right, right, right. And, and there are some women that come in that have a pretty quick transformation. Um, that looks like I'll I'll tell you a funny story. So very often people who may have some disordering disordered eating might get fixated on certain foods and they might get fixated on I have to eat this because I'm okay, I'm safe. The you know this mm-hmm. this is my safe area. And what's cool is when you see somebody be able to break out of that. Um, For example, uh, I know a woman who is really, you know, eating, really controlling about her diet, meaning she eats very healthy diet. They're Mm -hmm. only these safe foods, you know, I'm not going to identify what they are, but just, you know, just imagine what we would consider healthy in the media, you know, I don't know, maybe Greek yogurt and almonds and, you know, uh, think clean diet, as people like to say. And so this particular person has really continued to kind of defend that that she just eats that way because she's healthy, that that she eats that way just because she's healthy without being able to fully see the other side that she also eats that way out of fear because she feels like she needs to control her body in order to be loved. So here's where the story's going. Not all that long ago, um, she went out to a social event And it occurred to her that she wanted to eat nachos. Nachos would not be something that she would normally eat. And so it occurred to her that she wanted to eat nachos. So, A, that's progress because she heard that voice inside that said, I would like this. Mm -hmm. B, it's progress because she said yes. (laughs) She said yes. And she said, I want that. And I'm going to have that. And that may seem like a small thing, but for somebody who spent their life not only controlling what they eat and everything being black and white and everything being good and bad, she gave herself permission to do something differently. Mm -hmm. But then what's cool is that she then had to do what lots of other people have to do, which is to challenge the other crazy thoughts that come up. Like, here's a crazy thought. I'm going to eat a plate of nachos, and then tomorrow my clothes won't fit. Mm. That's a crazy thought. But when you live in the disordered eating world of your head, that thought might make sense. Yeah, It might make sense that if I eat a hamburger tonight, my clothes won't fit tomorrow. So in the world of disordered eating recovery, Mm -hmm. she heard, I would like some nachos. She ate the nachos. She got up the next morning, and guess what happened? Her clothes fit. Her clothes fit. <laughs> oh, that's so a good story. Her clothes fit. Uh-huh. You know, and so that's that's what the that's the nitty gritty of recovery in in this particular area of disordered mm-hmm. eating is the being willing to honor your real hunger because you know what? Let's face it, nachos every once in a while, does that mean you're unhealthy? No. Mm-hmm. Nachos every once in a while 
are just nachos. Yeah. Food's not good. Food's not bad. Right. Food is amoral without yeah. moral value. So she had to be willing to do something different. And the good news was she got a good result. Wow. Is that what you counselors call an emotionally corrective experience? <laughs> <laughs> I usually just call it progress. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That is that is progress. Wow. And I was thinking as you were sharing that too, that like the, it's amazing that like we, our minds are so powerful that she for years probably hasn't even been letting herself notice that she wanted the nachos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if that would have, if she would have wanted the nachos, she would have fought that impulse. Or let's go back and I'll kind of extend her story into sort of a more common story. Yes. For a lot of women, guess what they would have needed to do in order to eat the nachos before recovery? Oh. They would have had to get drunk. Right, right. Because believe it or not, there are some women that they needed to lower their inhibitions through drugs or alcohol in order to just be able to treat themselves with a favored food. Wow. It's so connected. Yeah, and so that's an example of a short term. You know, mm -hmm. I, I can also give you an example of, of kind of a longer term. Mm -hmm. As I told you, I have a long history at yeah. Mar. And um, I am so fortunate today that I know women in the recovery community that were in the disordered eating group with me uh, 13 years ago, 14 when years ago. When you were volunteering? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, we, and that's when I became a volunteer, I went straight from volunteer to intern to disordered eating counselor. Okay. Right? So I was there. You yeah, know, yeah, I did yeah. that for a long time. You knew, you saw what you wanted. Oh, you yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And so, but, but so there are women that I know today in the community, and this is just not an issue for them anymore. They walk around in a body that they love, and their body has not become their body ceases to be a point of argument. Their body is simply a vehicle to love and live the lives they've been given. I see these women that are in recovery who have sustained relationships, who have in some cases become mothers, who live their lives not in spite of the body they're in, but can honor that it's just the vehicle to do this wonderful thing we call life. Um, for some people, disordered eating recovery, it is, um, let's just say for some people, they still have to think about it, right? For some people, it's harder to let go than others. But believe me when I say that full recovery is possible to absolutely be free of this in the same way that you can be free from substances. Mm. That's what I talk to the women about is I want more from you. I want more for you, excuse me, than just not using. Mm -hmm. You know, what I want for you is a life of freedom, a life of freedom. And that means freedom from all bondage, you know, freedom from drugs, freedom from alcohol, freedom from the need to control every aspect of how you look and what you eat and what you don't eat. You know, real freedom means, again, just being able to move through the world in this, you know, glorious container we're each gifted with to love it, appreciate it, treat it well so that we can go and live lives of purpose. Yeah. That's a help, more helpful spectrum to look yeah. at it on. Like, am I getting more free or less free, you yeah. know? Um, rather than good and bad. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, in the disordered eating world, one of the words that's really tricky for mm -hmm. us is 
healthy? Because people will tell me, they will very angrily defend, but Allison, I just want to be healthy. And so, but when healthy is rigid and black and white, and I have to do it this way, and I have to weigh this many pounds, and I have to run this many miles or walk that many steps, that's not freedom. Mm. That's not freedom. And Mm -hmm. while we have a culture that will tell us that health has everything to do with how many steps we walk and, you know, if we're good or bad with our food, that's not real health. Yeah. Kind of like what our family members come in here saying like, well, I'm just loving, I'm just supporting, but really, and yeah. then we have to do some education around codependency versus real love. You know, is it really love or is it? Yes. That's a perfect, perfect way to explain, mm-hmm. right? Because what they think is love may not be love at all. Mm-hmm. And what we think of as health may not be health at all. Right. So yeah, we we try to redefine the word health. What percentage of the women that come through treatment do you find uh, this is an issue for, if you had to guess? Oh, that's a great question. So I can do more than guess. I mean, we <laughs> keep the numbers. We keep track. But the reality is, As far as who gets treated, let me start there. I'll break it down a little bit. Who gets treated? In other words, who gets identified to go into our disordered eating program? I would say on average, over long term, let's say seven or eight years, one out of three women is identified to go into that program. Now, I would say at least two out of three women have some degree of what I would simply call body image disturbance. In other words, they really want to change the way they look. Or let's face it, they really want to change the way they feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to use the language that we're so familiar mm-hmm. with with addiction, you know, why do we use? We use because we want to change the way we feel. And so many women, and again, this is for men too. Forgive me, women is, yeah. you know, my focus of treatment. Of but, course. Um, so many women want to change the way they look in order to change the way they feel. Mm. So uh, nationally speaking, we hear approximately 50%. Those are the statistics that get used. But again, our experience is at least one out of three women. And at any given time, that flexes. It can go from 33 to 66%. Many of us know of the term eating disorder, and you may know know anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder. Those are things that are identified and diagnosed by the the DSM, Mm -hmm. the the Bible of Psychiatric Disorders. Those are severe, life-threatening mental illnesses that have symptoms that literally um, require serious treatment, uh, psychological treatment and medical treatment. Um, Some of those symptoms are self-starvation. That's what anorexia is generally about. Um, Binging and purging. Uh, Purging can be through self-induced vomiting, through laxative abuse, through uh, excessive exercise, through kind of a starvation type pattern of binging and starving. What I just described, that's all kind of what we call bulimia. Mm -hmm. And then binge eating disorder. A binge is eating a much larger amount of food Uh, than someone might normally eat, usually in very rapid uh, fashion, a lot of times secretly. So so those three, the big three, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, those are eating disorders. That 
is on one end of what I'll call the eating continuum. Mm. The other end of the eating continuum is what I would call normal eating. And normal eating is you eat when you're hungry, you stop when you're full, you have a regular pattern of eating. And most, most people, it might look like three meals a day, three meals and a couple of snacks. Um, it's guided internally. It's guided by not only a need to fuel your body, but there's some pleasure and enjoyment that comes from food. Uh, and mostly your weight is regulated by your eating, and it's not, it's not an issue. So normal eating is the other end of the continuum. Mm -hmm. In the middle of this continuum is what we call disordered eating. Disordered eating is any time you move off of normal. Mm -hmm. And it can be mild. It can be, you know, I'm a chronic dieter and I'm always trying to lose five pounds. That is a mild disordered eating. Mm -hmm. But as we move further towards eating disorders, disordered eating can be things like uh, restricting, a very purposeful cutting back on your food because you're trying to obtain some possibly unattainable, possibly attainable goal. It might be that the way that you view your body is so important that it takes a much higher precedence than other things in your life. Like if I could just be thin, then I'll be happy. Right. It's it's some skewed perspective. Um, some disordered eating looks like, um, well, some of the things that we're used to in the media today, uh, cleanses and things that people feel like they need to purge their body. Uh, some of the more popular trends around eating, you know, I'm only going to eat clean or I'm only going to eat like a caveman. I mm -hmm. mean, while those things are very popular, you start moving towards disordered eating when you cut out entire food groups, mm -hmm. okay? So if that helps, disordered yeah. eating is any time that you're, you've moved away from an internal sense of honoring your body's hunger and fullness and using external cues to decide what you should or shouldn't eat. Is treatment different depending on where people kind of come in? on that continuum? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So if you could give us some examples. Yes. Uh, if somebody is acting out in some disordered eating behaviors and we decide that they need to be in the disordered eating program, uh, what that means is this. They are coming to a Monday night group, which is just a process group only for those who have disordered eating. Uh, they also take advantage of the community resource of an Eating Disorders Anonymous meeting. Um, everybody at Mar has to go to at least five meetings a week. Mm -hmm. They have to go to one of the Eating Disorders Anonymous meetings because that may be part of their long-term recovery. So just as we help them get uh, indoctrinated into the 12-step mm -hmm. community for yeah. their addiction, we do the same for the disordered eating piece. Um, they also, based on what their food or body image behaviors look like, uh, Regina and I work with them with their food. Um, we don't work strictly from a meal plan perspective. Some people that need some help on learning how to eat, Regina and I will support them primarily. Regina will support them nutritionally. Mm -hmm. I work with them on skills around what's called intuitive eating and also mindful eating. Mm -hmm. um, we learn how, we, we try to help women learn how to stop listening so much to the rules that we've been taught in the world. And get back in touch with what the body needs. So like I said, we, we support them in that they have nutritional help to meet those real goals, but also we try to help them get back in touch with their bodies. 
That's yeah, that's really helpful to understand. So <clears throat> so there's some there's some degree of intervention regardless of where people might be on that that spectrum. It's just a question of of how much and to what degree. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And for the people who do not in any way get identified as mm-hmm. having disordered eating, we still have a group during feeling school that's called body acceptance. Mm-hmm. And this is one of my real passions because as I said earlier, all women, all humans, <laughs> let's, let's go with that, Yeah. Uh, especially those who are seeking treatment for addiction, for a substance use disorder, need help on some self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. And so in the body acceptance group, we talk about uh, accepting the body you're in. We talk about healthier ways to deal with your feelings that are not through eating mm-hmm. or not eating or over-exercising, right? Some of those coping skills. But we also talk about some of the influences in this world, in this culture. Um, We get a lot of messages in our world from the media, from advertising, that say, look a certain way, be a certain way. So we do some media literacy, and we do a lot of empowerment for women to actually love and embrace the bodies they're in. Most of us are not encouraged Mm -hmm. To have self-love, self-compassion, self-acceptance. We live in a culture that says harder, better, faster, Mm -hmm. right? If we can just be harder on ourselves, then we'll achieve our goals of a, you know, a thinner body. Right. And in reality, the harder we are on ourselves, usually the further we get away from the goal. So self-acceptance and real compassion for the journey that a woman has been in, you know, that's the other thing. Addiction is hard on a body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the, the process of being in treatment is learning to accept a lot of things that we might have previously found unacceptable. You know, we learn to accept our feelings. We learn to accept our bodies. We learn to accept our pasts. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the journey that every woman gets to undertake uh, while she's in treatment at Mar. That's part of the curriculum that I use in our body acceptance group is I talk about emotional eating. I talk about the piece about how using food or emotional eating could be serving the purpose that we really need to be serving through other coping skills. Mm -hmm. So I absolutely talk about that. And in talking about it and processing it in groups, we hope that people start to learn that. Mm -hmm. You know, at Mar, we talk a lot about the language of feelings. And we do feelings checks multiple times Mm -hmm. a day. And that's a way for people to start to identify, you know, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling angry. Hopefully, as we go through the process of treatment and we teach them about their coping skills, they learn how to first identify feelings and then realize that they need a coping skill rather than turning to some sort of old behavior. Mm -hmm. Now, again, some people do find that in treatment they while not using drugs or alcohol, might want to turn to overeating or undereating or controlling their bodies. But part of our process, part of our curriculum at MAR is we work to help them identify, I'm feeling, right? First Mm -hmm. off, I'm Mm -hmm. feeling, and then what it is, and what do I do about it? That's really what our recovery program is all about, giving them first the ability to check in and know what's happening, and then to have some new skills to use as opposed to turning to the old skills of drinking or using 
or other skills they might pick up or other not skillful activities yeah. like using food or trying to control their bodies in other ways. Which ties into what you were saying at the beginning that in they're treating this um, disordered eating wherever it is on that spectrum yeah. al aligns a lot with substance abuse because really it's the underlying feeling that you're addressing and how to yes. cope with that. So it's not like it's a whole separate thing necessarily. Yes, Matt, but, that's it. Okay, okay. You got it. Got you it. understand. Yes. Okay, okay. Wait, we'll bring you over to the Women's Center. <laughs> um, that's it. And uh -huh. if that's what people take away, it serves the same purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, we drink, we use, we eat, we starve, we run, we lift mm -hmm. in order to change the way we feel. Now, is it possible to eat and to exercise in a way that's life-affirming? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's part of what we try to help women understand is where the balance is. Mm -hmm. And we try to help them understand where am I trying to fill the hole, right? Are mm -hmm. these behaviors to try to fill that hole, that great emptiness that mm -hmm. we're all trying to fill? Or are these behaviors life affirming? Um, so for people that are listening that maybe are family members and thinking like, well, is this the right program for my daughter? Could you kind of help distinguish what, what you all do there versus what they would get at a more place that focuses more directly on bulimia? Or Yeah. Or... yeah. And that's such an important question. Thank you. Because mm -hmm. I, I, I want to emphasize more, of course, is a substance abuse treatment center. That's our primary. That's what we do. And we do it well. And we have to make sure that we keep our focus on that. What I'd like to say is that if someone's eating disorder is primary, then more is unfortunately not the treatment center for them. You know, how would you know the difference? What's primary, what's not? Well, the assessment team, they're great at being able to assess that. If somebody right now is active in anorexia, for example, just using one of the uh, eating disorders, if someone is active in anorexia, they would need a place that there was much more medical focus, much more supervision around the food and some of those behaviors. So somebody who we assess and find that the eating disorder is really primary, they would be better served at a primary eating disorder treatment center. So we know, our assessment team knows that those folks, that we help get them other referrals so that those needs are met primarily. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so... And, and is there the possibility of those people, once they're stabilized in that, to maybe coming to MAR for substance abuse treatment? Absolutely. Absolutely. What we look at is the behaviors, right? What we look at is if somebody is actively meets the criteria for anorexia, they're going to need medical stabilization. If somebody actively meets the criteria for bulimia or binge eating disorder, which means they're actively binging and purging, on a regular basis, daily, a mm -hmm. couple of times a week. Um, those folks could get stabilized in an eating disorder treatment center, and then they could absolutely come to MAR. Mm -hmm. uh, there are people who have at one point been active in an eating disorder, met that criteria for active eating disorder, and are still great candidates for being at MAR. As a matter of fact, that's a lot of what we see for the women that do end up in the disordered eating program a lot of them will come in tomorrow and they will have had histories of eating disorders. And while maybe they still have a lot of the thinking processes, maybe they still have some of the tendencies, they're just not active in those behaviors that require 
daily medical supervision. Mm -hmm. And those women do really well in our program. Mm -hmm. So what would be one thing you would pass on to people that are listening, if you could, Allison? Mm -hmm. I would say the most important thing is working towards this notion of acceptance, of body acceptance. We know the research tells us that negative body image is actually one of the predictors of substance use in adolescent girls. Believe it or not, this is a pathway for people to start to use. And so what I believe is true is that we need to encourage not just women, not just girls, all humans, I go back to that, to start to take a kindlier notion of these bodies that we're in. Because the things that we do to change our bodies very often are more unhealthy than healthy. And we can be calling it healthy the whole time. And we call it healthy all day long. <laughs> One of the greatest predictors of eating disorders, again, in young women, because that's where most of the research comes with, comes from, is uh, dieting. So we know that body image dissatisfaction can lead to an eating disorder and substance abuse. We know that dieting can lead to an eating disorder. We know that people with eating disorders have a much greater chance of having substance use. Mm. You know, this notion of I'm going to get good enough. Again, back to what we said mm -hmm. earlier, this notion that I'm going to beat myself, I'm going to whip myself mm -hmm. into submission to be good enough, it just usually doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It drives us into those unhealthy behaviors. Right, yeah. right. So, so kindness, self-compassion, mm. um, and connection. Mm. If I... I'm, I'm so glad you gave me the opportunity to say that so many women feel not enough. And when we open our mouths and we hear that other people feel the same way, that connection is part of the balm that can start to heal that feeling. Because when you realize that the woman that you envy also <laughs> feels terrible in her skin yeah. is when you can start to say, oh, oh, me too. Yeah. Right? Me too. We are so much more alike than we are different. That's that's always seems to be the through line for, for this place, too. Yeah. That people come in and, you know, they might be a 59-year-old airplane pilot, but then they think they had nothing in common with a 20-year-old who's living with their parents. Right. And, by the time they're done, they're like, they're like brothers, you know? Right. And so, you know, if I had a tagline for my life, for my work, it would be recovery is an inside job. Mm. We can't fix the outside. Mm -hmm. And the way that we fix the inside is by exposing it. Mm. And by exposing it to those people who are doing what we're doing, we find love, we find acceptance, we find camaraderie, we find common humanity. And the fact that we're all so, so very much alike. Mm -hmm. And that's scary, that exposing part. Mm -hmm. You have to feel pretty safe to, oh. to do that. Oh, so. 
And you do, and of course, at the Women's Center, we do a lot of work with shame. Yeah, we've got yeah. such a great group led by Courtney Robbins, where yeah. we use Brene Brown's work mm-hmm. on connection, mm-hmm. on vulnerability, on showing up. Mm-hmm. So, I believe that we have created such a safe environment. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Allison, for doing this and educating us all about disordered eating and. Um, and what y'all do at the Women's Center. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to be here, Matt. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Mar Experience Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Shedd. Our show is co-produced by Angela Edmonds and our executive producer is David Tate. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.